No thanks. We'll read. We're going to read uh, uh, another short portion, just six verses in, in Psalm one. Psalm one, the book of Psalms. Psalm one. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall uh, prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff, uh, which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of that uh, portion uh, as well. Now, I want uh, this morning, friends, to give a, a heading uh, to our sermon. And our heading is, How is your life marked? How is your life marked? There's an old saying, and it's probably very likely a true one eh, as well, that man's deepest craving, that man's deepest eh, want is, is eh, joy and eh, happiness. Every man is seeking after happiness. If you were to ask everybody who attended the eh, Celtic festival all week, they would tell you the same thing. They're looking, they're looking for joy, and they're looking for happiness. That can be said of us, uh, said of us uh, uh, all. And uh, what do we have here uh, today? What do we have here in this uh, uh, psalm? Where is this happiness and joy to be found that everybody is craving for? And looking for what is it to be found it's interesting an eminent theologian jonathan edwards says the enjoyment of god is the only happiness with which our souls can be truly satisfied another theologian he says there is no happiness out of god is that true is that true what these two eminent theologians uh, said, that there is no uh, happiness uh, outside of God? Well, this psalm we're going to consider, friends, this morning briefly has an answer. It has one wise answer uh, to that question. Now, I don't need to tell you, friends, here today, we all live in a world of, of contrast. We see these contrasts every day. Big, small, light, darkness, good, bad, black and white, good and evil, rich and poor. It goes on and on. The life, our, our lives are full of contrast. We see all these contrasts uh, uh, abounding on every side uh, every day. But we've got, friends, in this psalm, a, a, a psalm that has two contrasts, 
two solemn contrasts at that. Two contrasts between two people. Two very different uh, uh, people groups. And, you know, you and I here today in pew and in pulpit, we fit into either one or two of these uh, uh, people groups. Now, if you begin at Genesis right through to the last book in the Bible, Revelation, you'll see that these two people groups, they have two, if I can say, two distinguishing tags, two distinguishing contrasting labels. Let me give you just some of them. Saints and sinners, righteous and unrighteous, believers and unbelievers, converted, unconverted, saved, unsaved, wise, foolish, godly, and ungodly. In fact, there are other contrasts as well that place these two uh, uh, groupings together. You know, and in friends, depending on which group we fall into, it's going to determine our eternal destiny whether we're bound for heaven to be with Christ forever in the glory land of the celestial city or to be lost forever in that place called hell, the loneliest place in God's universe where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. You know, and if we don't belong to the right group, as if it were, we've got to pause this morning and consider where we stand in the light of eternity. And if we're not in the right grouping, we've got to make sure that we are, if we hope at the end of the day, at the end of the day to be at peace with God and uh, uh, to get to heaven. I've lost count of the number of funerals I've attended already this year. Some of these people have died suddenly. They've come off the conveyor belt of life, having been taken off that conveyor belt very, very suddenly and unexpectedly, at different various ages. The youngest being uh, uh, 40, at whose funeral I attended recently. 55, 65, 54, 29. You know, friends, we've got to make sure we're right with God, not next year. Not next month or even tomorrow, but I hope today before the midnight hour strikes this day. What is it? The 16th of July, 2023, that we're at peace with God in our own heart before this day draws uh, uh, to a close. Now, friends, I stress that nothing less than this will do if we hope to get to heaven at the end of the day, to be at peace with God and to have our sins forgiven. The number of people who told me this week on the high street and in, uh, on the streets of Thornwood, I hear what you say. I hear what you say, and I don't disbelieve uh, these truths. But the sad reality is they're doing nothing about it. They'll attend a funeral when somebody dies suddenly, and they're startled. And then they go back to sleep. Not unduly concerned that they're as well on that conveyor belt of life and that they might have uh, to come off very suddenly. 
I hear many people who've been in different pulpits throughout the length and breadth of our country with no ranks. And they've told me of certain preachers, please don't make reference to the blood of Christ in this pulpit. Please don't make reference to the doctrine of hell. We don't want to hear it. What a godless nation we are. John Newton was once asked as to who his best friend in life was. And he says, my best friend in life is the person who's honest with me and who tells me the truth. You know, friends, if I'm not mistaken today here in Stornway, he's your friend as well. And he's my best friend, the person who's honest with us and who tells us the truth. Hell is spoken of in the Bible more than heaven. Jesus himself, during his three years of ministry, he preached on hell more times than he did about heaven. Why is that? He would have all men come to a knowledge of the truth as it is in Scripture. Bishop Ryle, our friend Bishop Ryle, uh, he says, preaching, uh, uh, preaching on hell once, he said this, he says, if I never spoke of hell, I should think I had kept back something that was profitable and should look on myself as an accomplice of the devil. Beware of new and strange doctrines about hell and the eternity of punishment. Beware of manufacturing a God of your own, a God who is all mercy, but not just. A God who is all love, but not holy. A God who has a heaven for everybody, but a hell for none. A God who can allow good and bad to sit side by side by one another, but will make no distinction between good and bad in eternity. And he says, such a God is an idol of your own imagination. I want to consider brief, briefly, friends, this morning, these contrasting names that I've brought before you in Psalm 1. We see uh, the blessed man and the ungodly man. And I want to consider with you how the lives of these two uh, people are marked out. In this world. First in verses one and two, a life marked by faithfulness. A life marked by faithfulness. We read here the life of somebody who's a Christian. It describes the character of a believer, a man who's born again, a Bible believing, born again. Christian. Now, the first thing that we read here in this psalm is what he is. Notice, he's blessed. Blessed is the man. Now, we might think, we might overlook that and think, well, man, blessed is the man. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, blessed is the king. Blessed is the wealth, the, 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 the millionaire, the banker, the, the, the driving instructor. The, the the high and mighty doesn't say that about it says blessed is the man he's a mere man he's a mere man an ordinary man a sinner just like you and I here uh, uh, today and the difference is this this is a man who's repented of his sins and he believes the gospel repentance towards God is in his heart and faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember somebody once asking me on the streets of Inverness, words to this effect as to where does Christianity begin? 
Where does Christianity begin? Good works, good deeds, being good to your neighbor, going the extra mile, taking the lady across the road with her bags. No, that's not where Christianity begins. Christianity begins where it began with the public and of old. We made reference to him there earlier. The publican saw himself as a sinner. I'm a guilty, hell-deserving sinner. I deserve God's wrath and curse. Is there hope for me? He came to realize there was hope for him in the gospel. As he cried out that day, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know, he wouldn't have had the applause of men. Man, look at that on the outward appearance, makes an assessment for good or for ill. He wouldn't have had the applause of men, but he had the applause of heaven. So it wonderful. He had the applause of heaven. He was justified before a, a God in heaven. You see, God looketh upon the heart. Now, he's notice here, he's blessed because of the things he does, and he's also blessed by the things that he doesn't do. There's certain things he approves of and applauds and commends. And there are certain things that he doesn't approve of or commend. Notice here, he doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. And he doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. Now, what the psalmist is saying here, saying here, really, there's, there's certain harm in, in certain things. The children here know this. Where there's, they're here from their mums and their dads. Where there's harm, you keep out of harm's way. And it's the same with the Christian. There are certain things in life that the Christian avoids because there, there are dangers, dangers there. And he knows better than, knows better than anybody else that there's dangers there because he was once lost in Egypt. He was in the far country and he knew what the dangers were when he was there until the day came when his heart was captured and conquered by God's grace and he was caught in the gospel net. He knows that there are certain places that he doesn't visit, certain people that he doesn't keep company with, and certain conversations that he doesn't have. Why? Notice who these people are. Ungodly, sinners, and scornful. Now, before we go on here, we pause. This isn't a, if I can say, a holier-than-thou attitude. Because Jesus himself ate and walked with publicans and sinners. And the Christian does that as well. He walks and he speaks to publicans and a, a sinners. What the psalmist is saying here, don't imitate the world's ways. Don't copy them. Don't get caught up in their crude conversations. If I can be personal, I cannot understand for the life of me how Christians, as they did over the last two nights, go to a worldly concert and hear what I heard as these people were going in. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So blasphemously. And yet, 
It doesn't seem to bother some people who walk in there claiming that they're Christians. The scripture clearly says that we don't stoop down here to the world's unchristian ways. We don't follow their ungodly ways, their ungodly behaviors, and their ungodly conversations. I remember uh, somebody within our family circle who had a drink problem. He recovered. A new chapter uh, uh, was written in uh, uh, the book of his life. He started attending Alcoholics Anonymous. And he would, I would often hear him say that he didn't want to be caught up in the conversation of certain people. He didn't want to be in certain people's company. And this is what he often says, they're bad company. They're not good news. These were the very people who were urging him to go back to where he once was. Now, it's the same with the drug addict. Somebody who... And many people who have had a problem with drink and gambling, and they, they want a new chapter to be written in their life, a new page. They don't want to go back to their own ways because it, it, it brought them, it plunged them into the depth of despair. They're on a new road. And they want to separate themselves from these things that brought them, some of them, to the end of themselves, to the end uh, of their lives. And so it is with the blessed man. You see, notice the, 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 uh, the, the remit of scripture. Wherefore come out from among them and be separate. For ye are not of this world. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion uh, hath light with darkness? He's blessed because of the things he does. And he's also noticed blessed because of, uh, uh, sorry, he's, he's blessed because of the things he doesn't do. And he's also blessed because of the things he does. What does he do? Notice verse two, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. In other words, his first love is for the Bible. For God's word, for God's laws, for everything that is sacred and, and divine. Now, it's interesting, the law here doesn't mean the Ten Commandments. Of course, the Ten Commandments are enshrined. But what is the law here? What it means is the word of God, the Bible, as we have it uh, from the beginning of Genesis uh, through to the end of salvation, to the end of revelation. Now, the Bible won't make us uh, uh, into the, the secular uh, jobs of employment in this world. We have to go to university manuals and university directories. You know, if we're hoping to follow a chosen career in life, if we're to do well and if we're to graduate and pass, we've got to go to other books. This is the one book the Bible tells us that will make us what? It will make us wise unto salvation by faith that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. We come to a cradle, says Martin Luther, in order to see a baby. So we come to the Bible to see Christ. 
I never tire in telling the story of the young man, 18, in, uh, uh, who eventually became a member of our family from Ashmore in Garanaheina, who went one Friday night uh, at the time of communions to make a public profession of his faith. He had been converted. And at the session, he gave a word of testimony. And as he gave a word of testimony, one of the elders was his uncle. And he put his hand on his shoulder and he said to him, young man, you're going out in life. He says, on a new path, a blessed path. He says, over the next few weeks and months, various Christians will give you many books, spiritual books, to help you in your walk of faith and in your Christian life. But he says, remember, he says, the best of men are only men at best. And every volume that a friend may give you, it's not flawless. There are various flaws in every book that you'll get, even spiritual books. And he says, make sure, he says, you make your home in the Bible. And the Bible will take you home. What did he mean? Make your home in the Bible and the Bible will take you home. You see, it's flawless. No faults, no failings in God's word. I came across this uh, uh, yesterday from, from Thomas Chalmers. It's interesting. He says, the sum and substance of the preparation needed for a coming eternity is that you do, is that you uh, believe what the Bible tells you and you do what the Bible uh, bids you. Believe what the Bible tells you and do what the Bible bids you. Notice here with me in Scripture, God reminds us of the life-transforming, soul-changing place that takes place in that blessed man's experience. And this blessed man's experience, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, all things are passed away. Behold, all. Not some things or certain things or but all things have become new. You know, friends, that means what it says. A radical change has taken place. A life-transforming change has taken place in that person's life. All things have become new. His thinking becomes new. His thoughts, his desires become new. His cravings become new. The way he speaks, it becomes New, new hopes, new aspirations, new appetites, new longings, new sympathies. Why? Because the old heart has been taken away. I give unto you a new heart. And the blood of Christ cleanseth us from all sin. I remember it in, um, in Pilgrim's Progress, how Christian, when he leaves the city of destruction, behind him. The world is busy calling him back. And he doesn't want to hear what they're saying. He puts his fingers in his ears. I'm not going back. I'm not going back. That city is destined for destruction. I want life. Life, life, eternal life. And he begins his epic journey on that narrow path. He knew that was going to lead to heaven at the end of the day. His gaze was upon one, the life 
of the world. You know, young friends here today, the world will laugh when you become a Christian. The world here laughed at Christian as well in Pilgrim's Progress. You know what they called him when he left the city of destruction? Somebody shouted to his worldly friend, just leave him, leave him. That man, he's only a brain-sick fellow. He's a brain-sick fellow. I heard it this week, giving out the gospel. You're the biggest idiot in the world. You're the biggest fool I've ever seen. The world is so busy. It's got its own agenda. I'm getting carried away. A life marked by faithfulness. Secondly, a life marked by fruitfulness. Notice here how this man's life is marked by fruitfulness. This blessed man in verse 3. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water and bringeth forth his fruit in his season. Now, friends, you and I generally recognize a good tree. Don't we in summer by its fruit? We see the greenery. We see the fruit there. And that tells us it's a, it's a good tree. It's a good tree. The evidence is there for everybody to see that, that, that it's rooted, that this tree is well rooted, that, it's, that the juice and the sap is finding its way and providing the evidence for all and everybody to see. And so it is with this blessed man. He bears evidence of fruit. He bringeth forth his fruit in his season. You know what John says? Ye shall know them by their fruits. Ye shall know them by their fruit. Every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. You know, friends, this good fruit reflects something. What does it reflect? That is not a counterfeit. It reflects that is not a gimmick. That is a genuine Bible-believing, born-again Christian. Everything about him is different. His walk is different. His talk is different. His conduct is different. His words are seasoned by grace. His con conversation is without covetousness. His dealings with not just saints, Christians are different. His dealing with sinners are different as well. He's got an eye out for them, craving that the grace that captured him will capture that uh, uh, person as well. The, some of you will remember the eminent minister we had in Scotland a few years ago, Donald MacLean. We only had him for two brief years. And uh, cancer terminated his ministry. And Mr. McLean, when he did his visitations, as he often did, he also visited those who didn't go out to church. Those who had no time for church, he still visited them and he worshipped with them and he prayed with them. And after Mr. McLean had to leave Scarpe, because his condition worsened, he had to leave to go to the mainland. I recall what a couple said who he visited regularly. Memorable words. They said that if ever a saint lived in this world, you have him in the Scarpe Mans. What a test, what a fragrant legacy he left behind. Everything about him was so different, and the world even recognized that, recognized it. 
It couldn't, it couldn't silence that. It was said of the early New Testament church. <laughs> the world scoffed, scoffed and ridiculed, unlearned and ignorant men. But there was one starting thing they saw in their experience. They had been with Jesus. They had to even acknowledge it themselves. They had been with Jesus. What happens? Where do we find ourselves when there's no fruit in our lives? When there's no evident Christian fruit? Listen to what the Lord says. Every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. One writer, he says that a fruitless person is not a failed Christian, but a false one. In other words, not a Christian at all. Not a Christian at all. Now, this verse also tells us something else about this blessed man's life. His life is flourishing in so many ways. His leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. His leaf is not like the leaves that we see falling in autumn. They wither and they decay. It's like an evergreen. They, they, they blossom and flourish all year round. In other words, from January through to the end of the year, there's evidence in the blessed man's life that all is well. That all is well with his soul. I meet Christians, elderly Christians, and they struggle for with various things, body and, and mind. But you know, friends, the blessing that God speaks of here is never withdrawn from the blessed man. It's in life, this man will be forever blessed. He'll be forever blessed. He's blessed in his work. What about the Kaya and the Botoch and the nursing home and in the care unit and the institution, the hospital? You can hardly know whether they're living or dying. What about them? And in old age, when others paid, they fruit still forth shall bring. They shall be fat and full of sap and a be flourishing. What about the Christian, the blessed man who's suffering? He's in the valley of despair often. We meet Christians and they're in the valley of despair. The sufferings of this world shall not be compared with the glory that one day shall be revealed in us. Soon shall the cup of glory wash down earth's bitterest woes. The sands of time are sinking. The dawn of heaven breaks. The summer morn I've longed for. The fair sweet morn awaits. Notice, dark, dark has been the midnight, but day spring is at hand, but throned where glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. On the mountain tops, when the sun is shining and all is well, when they descend into life's dark valley, they're there surrounded by frightening clouds and rains and tempests and shadows. I will never leave thee. I will never forsake thee. When every other friend has fled, this friend, my friend, remaineth faithful. I will be with thee, even until the end of the world. You know, surely, 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 that this is the kind of happiness you and I are looking for in this world. 
Someone said a man should look for and look after a happiness that will last as long as his soul lasts. As long as his soul lasts. A life marked by faithfulness, a life marked by fruitfulness. A few words on a life here marked by foolishness. A life marked by foolishness. How is, a, how is the life of a, a foolish man marked out? He's living without Christ as his saviour. He's got no thought of eternity. He's living for this world only. And is of the persuasion, like another in the Bible, that is eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die. Somebody last night said to me, I'm living in a way that you're not. He was right. He was right. He that has the Son hath life. But he that has not the Son of God hath not life. You know, it's an empty life. It's a barren life. And in fact, my dear friend here today, a life without Christ is a life that is not worth living. A life that is not worth living. Let me quote to you here today the testimony of four people whose lives they thought they were living well until it came to the end of life. People who had everything as far as this world is concerned, riches, wealth, fame, the applause of men, every material thing you can think of. Listen to their testimonies. Jay Gould, he was prominent in his day, an American millionaire with an enormous fortune. When dying, he said, where is happiness? Not in money. I suppose I am the most miserable man on earth. Lord Byron, apparently a prominent English nobleman who lived for treasure only. This is what he wrote. The worm, the canker and grief are mine alone. The French philosopher Voltaire, I wish he says I'd never been born. Lord Beaconsfield, another man who enjoyed uh, wealth and fame and fortune. He says, youth is a mistake. Manhood a struggle. Old age a regret. Under their own admission was no blessing. This blessedness we're considering today. They didn't have this blessedness in their lives. They had empty lives. They had no concern for eternity. Somebody once said, you know, friends, listen to what this man said, a, a, a Christian man. He who provides for this life but takes no care for eternity is wise for a moment, but a fool eh, forever. Notice here with me in Psalm 1 the startling contrast between the blessed man and the man here that the Bible calls uh, an ungodly man. He's an unblessed man. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. 
For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly eh, shall perish. The ungodly are pictured in many ways in the Bible, given different labels. But the picture, the label that they're given here is chaff. Chaff. Imagine, in contrast to the righteous man, he's an evergreen leaf, an evergreen tree, always prospering, always flourishing. God's blessing is upon him in life, in his work, in his family, in his sufferings, in old age, in death, at the judgment and throughout eternity. The ungodly man is as like chaff. You ask, I don't know how many farmers are in here today. You ask a farmer in Stornoway, and he'll tell you the worth and the value of chaff. They'll all say the same thing. It's worth nothing. It's worth nothing. When, when the chaff and the, the grade, when it's winnowed, when it's separated, the wind takes away the chaff, and all that's left, it's swept, and it's thrown into the fire. You know, that's a solemn picture that our Lord is bringing before us here. What, re what he's saying is about the ungodly, the man who's not blessed, he's worth nothing. He's worth nothing. And he's going to be cast away. He shall separate them one from another. He will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. You know, friends, that's very, very solemn. Very, very solemn and uh, uh, sobering. Thomas Brooks, no, it gives us no joy in quoting some of these things. I, don't, I believe it didn't give Thomas Brooks in his own day any joy either. But he once said, or he penned together these words. He says, the greatest and the hottest fires that were ever on earth are but ice in comparison to the fire of hell. Could every damned sim sinner weep a whole ocean, yet all these oceans together would never extinguish uh, one spark of eternal fire. I wonder what does it mean here when we read in verse 5, therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Verse 5, what does that mean? It seems to contradict another verse of scripture that says that we, should, that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And yet this verse says, therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. What does that mean? Is that a contradiction? You know, friends, it's not a contradiction at all. What it means is they're startled. They're absolutely startled. They're held in horror. They've come to realize that this day has actually come. And it's, it's confronting them. They can hardly stand. They're trembling before this holy, just God of whom they had heard so much about. The day of reality has dawned on them. And the ungodly shall not stand in a the judgment. I said earlier that we would all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We fall into two categories. Uh, can I say this with all reverence and respect? 
and compel you with all the love that I can muster. That's what we've been doing all week. We've been doing what we could with God's help and compelling and constraining men and persuading men as the apostle did in his day, knowing the terrors of the Lord. We constrain men. We persuade men. We do what we can. Only God will do what we can't. And it's as well that he does that because salvation is of the Lord. If we could convert another soul that be saved today and lost tomorrow. But when the Lord begins a good work and that that work of grace in the heart, he brings it forth. We live in a day when we seem to be making a preparation for almost everything imaginable for life. But when it comes to the things that matter most, it's on a put on a back burner as though it were very important. As I returned from Moldova recently, I had to take several flights, one of them from uh, the last one from Hungary to, 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 uh, to, to Edinburgh. And there was a queue in front of me. And you and I know if we go to Stornoway Airport and to Dalcross in Inverness, you need a passport. You need your tickets and your travel documents. And you have, if you don't have them in order, you can give as many excuses as you want to the lady at the desk. You can even play tricks in front of her. You're not getting on board that. You need a passport. You need a ticket. This lady in front of me on the queue was adamant that she was going to get on board. She didn't have the right documents. And she was eventually taken away by two security officers. She gave as many as excuses at the desk. It was quite unbelievable. But she was hauled away. She couldn't get through. We need Christ as our savior. We need his stamp on that ticket and on that passport because he's the only way to heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but my being. You know, friends, when will that truth register with us so that it may bring us to see our need of calling, just like the publican, the beginning of true biblical Christianity? Lord, be merciful. To me, a sinner. May the Lord bless to us these thoughts. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that thou wilt uh, help us uh, to be doers of thy word. It is well for us to proclaim and to hear and to listen and to read. But give us that we might uh, put our Christianity into action. And that we might uh, take these truths with us uh, into the week. So that we might apply them to ourselves. Lord, give apply our hearts unto wisdom. And give us that our focus may be upon Jesus, looking unto him uh, who has promised, if we put our trust in thee, that I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We pray that thou forgive us for anything that we have said amiss today. And uh, bless us now together as we sing our final praise and conclusion. May the glory be thine and the blessing ours. For Jesus' sake. Amen. <laughs>